So instead of asking why, why would I say yes to this shift or why would I do this internship or why would I, you know, do anything, it's it's reframe that question and, and say why not. And I think that has kind of helped me a lot in terms of grabbing these opportunities, removing perhaps some of your own awkwardness or self-doubt or imposter syndrome and just saying, why not? Just say yes to it, do it. You you won't know everything going into it and you know, won't, you know, nail everything and that's fine. You'll make mistakes. Having that attitude in a personal life, in a work life, um, that that's really helped me um, build the career and, and, and get me to where I am now. G'day guys. Coming up on the show today is Cormac Rabble. If creating amazing experiences is your thing, Corm introduces us to the wide variety of roles and opportunities in the events world. Cormac is an Australian event manager who recently joined international event consultancy Trivandi, where he is based in Dubai, but there's plenty of travel across the Middle East to events like the Jeddah F1 in Saudi Arabia. Corm has just been in the Middle East for the last four years and has worked on some incredible events such as the World Heavyweight Title Fight Expo 2020 and the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. His experience doesn't stop there. Corm has worked on the 2019 ICC Cricket World Cup, the 2018 Commonwealth Games Rugby World Cup and 2015 Cricket World Cup in Australia. Plenty to look out for in this episode, guys. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. My name is Ruben Williams and joining me is the COVID invisible Ryan Walker. Usually he sits across from me today, but we have just got back from a big weekend at the Grand Prix, 450,000 people piled into our park and uh, we spent the entire weekend together, but only one of us got COVID, so figure that out. Anyway, uh, Ryan will be on the show later. He was with us when we managed to talk to our special guest, Cormac. But uh, to, intro and out this sh- out- to intro and outro this show, you've just got me today. Uh, if you're wondering who we are, we are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in the sports industry. So, and uh, in the process, we tease out their career decisions, their work habits, their skills, uh, and everything they do that makes them great. Also, that you can learn how to get in the sports industry or get promoted and uh, get thriving. So if you're not already, please follow us on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in the sports grad community, then we'd encourage you to become a member. If you're looking to, to network and meet people in sport, the sports grad community is the perfect place to do that. And uh, every week we love to give a little wrap up of what's going on inside there because there's so many amazing people doing wonderful things. So here's a couple of wins for you from the from the last week. To kick it off, we've got Loic Foyger, who has just landed a job as the operations and logistics coordinator at Unisport Australia. Now, this one is very special to me because I did my first internship at Unisport Australia, so I know what Loic is uh, stepping into. So well done to you, mate. Next, we've got Stephen as a party. He's having a party because he's just started a new position at the Essendon Football Club. They're doing pretty well at the moment. Uh, he's joining the Bombers as a football data analyst. And uh, I love this one. Not a paid position, but I love it equally because this is exactly the kind of thing you have to do to get into the big leagues. So 
I want to call out Daniel Hughes, who has just started volunteering on the board of his local soccer club as a partnerships coordinator, and he's volunteering at the Deakin Soccer Club. So well done to you, Daniel. That is a hugely valuable experience that's going to take you very, very far to come. Uh, jobs, we also have a job board. Uh, a couple of jobs that have been posted on our job board recently include a whole bunch of AFL jobs. So if you're looking to work in the AFL, have a listen to these. First up at the Melbourne Footy Club, digital video producer. Then at the Brisbane Lions, we've got corporate sales executive. And finally, if you're over in Perth, uh, there's a job up at the moment for consumer data and service representative. So head to our, the sports grad job board to check those out. Uh, as always in our community, we've got plenty of events coming up this week on Ask Sports Grad. We're talking about grassroots. So uh, we might have to get Daniel involved because he's a perfect example of what to do uh, if you're looking to get early experience, get involved at grassroots. So we're going to be discussing what opportunities exist, some ideas you can use to leverage the opportunity as best you can. Um, that's all coming up on Wednesday night. So get involved for that. Then we've got a job board, job, sorry, job fair coming up on April 19 where we get a whole bunch of organisations involved to share about the jobs in market at the moment. And then after that, we've got a speed networking night. If you want to meet a lot of community members in a short amount of time, make sure you get along to that one. Now, as always, there's a lot of information coming out of the sports grad community, lots of new jobs, lots of wins, lots of events, lots of podcasts. So if you want to stay on top of all of it and you don't want to miss a single thing, then subscribe to our newsletter. Every Friday, we send out a quick email with all the latest jobs, events, Q&As, and podcast episodes. So to subscribe to that, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter. And uh, there's also a link in our show notes to join. Stick around for Cormac Rabal. He's coming right up. There's a reason Deakin's sports management course attracts the greatest talent the nation has to offer. Because when you join the longest running sports management course in Australia, you'll gain access to unique opportunities with leading clubs and organisations. Their partnerships with the Geelong Footy Club, Deakin Melbourne Boomers and Netball Victoria and multiple elite industry partners will open the door to exciting placement experiences that connect you with the best athletes, managers and administrators in sport. Help shape the future of the sports industry. Secure your part in the golden decade of sport. Cormac, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to be here and, uh, yeah, great to be on the pod. Cormac, I didn't realise how small the sports industry was until I got to the Middle East last year. And uh, when I arrived in Dubai and was on my way to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, got a message from a random bloke called Cormac and I didn't, I didn't really look too closely at the image but saw this message that said, hey, if you're hanging around, you know, it'd be great to have a chat. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, but I've you know, got to quickly take off to, to the FIFA World Cup. A couple of days later, get to the FIFA World Cup, hanging out with good friends of the show, Bennett and Shannon. We go to a live site and they're like, we've got to go to this site to meet up with a couple of our friends. And then sure enough, you walk across and say, G'day, I'm Cormac. I messaged you on Instagram the other day. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is the greatest coincidence ever. <laughs> so <laughs> it was lovely bumping into you over there. <laughs> yeah, it is. A, it's a very, very small world. Um, and it comes up very often how much we all, we all talk about the, um, I think it's probably two or three degrees of separation instead of six. 
but yeah, it was great to uh, <laughs> great to meet you a few months ago out in Qatar. Brilliant. Corn, we basically start the show with a few quick-fire questions to get to know you uh, as well as we can and for those listening in, just to hear some of the little things about you that they uh, would love to get to know. So I'll start. Um, interested to hear what your first ever job was. Yeah, my, my first ever job, I was a paper boy uh, in my very, very small hometown of Matoa in country Victoria, about halfway between Melbourne and Adelaide. Um, so, yeah, I was... Uh, up every morning and, and driving around uh, on the push bike with, with my uh, Saturday ages. And, um, yeah, that got me started at about 12, I reckon. Amazing. We've had a few country Victoria mm. guests on recently. Uh, Michael Wilson, the other one to note. Um, we're good to keep that theme going. Yeah. Second question, what did you study at university? Well, I'm, I'm definitely not the first person to give this answer. I studied the, um, the double degree in sports science and commerce at Deakin University. Um, so I think... That's a, a bit of a trend. Um, I love my time at Deakin. Uh, the four-year degree was was brilliant, and um, yeah, every, a lot of my pathway I think I can can trace back to to that. So yeah, really enjoyed that. Brilliant. Great to have another elite Deakin alumni amongst us, mm. and, and our best friend of the podcast. I'll, I'll be happy to say. Mm. Um, your favourite sporting moment of all time. Favourite sporting moment, I do love my sport um, and, you know, been to a lot of sports as a punter, but I think probably the favourite one for me was uh, watching the Cricket World Cup final in, in 2015 at the MCG. That was my first job out of uni, um, for first full-time event job. So I worked on the, the tournament for 12 months and, um, yeah, was uh, was lucky enough to be there at the final and not actually working because my venues were the Adelaide Oval and the Gabba. So I'd wrapped up my obligations and was was at the final um as a guest of the tournament and to, to sit and watch that and think wow i've just been a part of this for 12 months and to watch australia to get a win um that kind of wrapped everything up really really nicely for me and, and reminded me why I, why i'm in the industry and why why i love it so much i do remember that fondly when uh mitchell stark rock and rolled Brendan mccullum second ball of the match with a classic yorker so that would have been incredible to be part of a full house there yeah, it was rocking and, you know, I think that was maybe the writing was on the wall after that <laughs> ball, but it was it was brilliant. But there were a lot of Kiwis came over, so the atmosphere at the G was, was brilliant. So, yeah, I'll, I'll always remember that one. Fantastic. And your favourite interview question to ask of candidates? Yeah, I think probably uh, a bit bit more left field I prefer. Um, I, I definitely – I'll always go down the standard line of experience and, and what they know about the organisation, but I always like to throw in um, if you could be any – animal what would you be um i think it breaks up the interview nicely and get to hear some pretty left field answers and you know it's good to to bring a bit of humor into the interview because ultimately if you're interviewing these people you're going to be stuck with them for long hours in the events world so it's good to kind of hear people how they think a bit outside the box and a bit more about them so yeah that's that's a go-to of mine and i really they, love they those personality the contract, yeah. questions in, in I, I think they bring um, a lot they of said, life oh, to, to people which is great in some no, interstate work um and the first the um, first one what's a, uh, was a book actually, or a podcast wasn't a flight, uh, that was they said oh, helped this, you at work one of the to be perfectly honest, Sports Grad is probably the only work-related podcast I've ever listened to. Um, I'm not a massive, um, I guess, in my personal life. I, I try not to, to spend too much time um, geeking out on, on event stuff. So all my, my books and podcasts are very, very far away from my working world. Um, but I did I did start listening to Sports Grad, I think, during COVID, listened to a few episodes and um, so yeah, without trying to um, to pump you boys up too much, you're probably probably the only one on the list. 
Um, that's amazing. That, you'll take and, it. And the first one has given us uh, that answer. So, um, yeah. Thank you. We'll pay you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, and are you associated with any grassroots sporting clubs? I, I definitely, I'm a bit more distantly associated now that I'm here in the Middle East, but my whole childhood was, was spent at grassroots sporting clubs, um, the Minute Matoa Kookaburras, my, my footy and netball club, um, and the, the Lubeck Matoa Mudlarks. Um, so they were my two, I guess, second homes as a kid um, from, from playing to, you know, volunteering, whether it was running the boundary or working in the canteen or um, helping out on, on non-match days. Um, yeah, that was all, all, all my kind of childhood from about five to, to 18 and then moving to Deakin was involved in some uni sports and um, and the more kind of recreational mass participation side of, of sports. So yeah, it's always been a massive a massive part of mine, and um, I still have a, a, a strong connection back to those those clubs back home. Some of those club names are unreal. I think Can you say them again? What, what was that? The Mutar Balugna Mudlarks. That's about as Australian as it gets. <laughs> close, close. So my hometown is Murtoa. Um, but obviously with, with the way country Victoria is, you, you very rarely can have a, a small town that sustains itself now. All, all the clubs merge. So the footy club, we, we, we merge with a town called Minyip down the road. So we're the Minyip Matoa Kookaburras. And uh, the cricket club, we merge with a, you could barely call it a town. Um, there's a town hall, so I suppose that ticks the box. But um, we merge with Lubeck. So we're the Lubeck Matoa Mudlarks. So, uh, the Mudlarks. Yeah, some pretty, pretty <laughs> what is, unique names there. What is a mudlark? <laughs> it's a bird. It's a bird. So they're both, they're both um, yeah, birds, my, my two local clubs. Nice. Love it. Gee, that is unbelievable. <laughs> the kookaburras, what a great, what a great. And the superior bird, the mudlark. Yeah, the mudlark comes <laughs> yeah. in and takes over. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, last quick fire question. If you had 30 minutes to pick the brain of anybody, who would it be? Yeah, I think, um, you know, sticking to the, sticking to the sporting theme, and, and this is probably one a lot of people, you know, a lot of people would think of being Aussies. You know, I think I've been lucky enough to, um, been lucky enough to meet Meet a few sporting heroes in my time, including um, the great Shane Warne, um, the late great Shane Warne. I did meet him uh, at the at the Ashes in 2019 um, when I just finished some work um, for the ECB, the England and Wales Cricket Board. But it was just a very passing, um, brief meeting. So I think you know, taking everything into account of what's happened now, I think um, it would be great to have a half an hour sit down with Warney, pick his brain about his his career and um, and and also his career moving out. Of, off the field and, and into the media space and, and everything he did there. So that would be my one. I uh, no. could not agree more. I did a bit of an annual review at the end of 2022 and Shane Warne's passing was one of my lowlights. Mm. So, um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and even like... Absolutely. I think we all remember where we were. And... Yeah. And even like going to the MCG now for the football and staring across yeah. at the Shane Warne stand, it's I, I kind of don't like it because it reminds me that Shane Warne's gone and I'm like... Mm. Oh, no surely not and it's like it's really for me personally it's the first time that i've had that sort of connection to a to an athlete before so yeah great choice mm. i'll always regret i was once yeah, I think it reminds us. Oh, sorry you go mate i was just gonna say i think warney you know it reminds us of doesn't matter if you're five or 55 it it, it kind of shows i guess what sport and and what sports people mean to not just australians but everyone around the world but um yeah, I think that was a reminder for me. Of, wow, this is—it's so much bigger than 
you know, a game when you when you see the impact that, that it had on everyone, you know, 12 months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I was once stuck in a, well, I wasn't stuck in a lift. I was in a lift with Warney at the Adelaide Oval. Were you really? And I, I don't know why, but I just didn't say hi to him. And I just regret it so much now. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it hurts so much. Like we locked eyes and, you know, a bit awkward because you're just standing across the lift from each other. But, ah, oh, what an idiot. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it annoys me to talk about it. I thought, so you're writing the, uh, I thought you were writing the playbook in networking here, boys. I know, I know. <laughs> Drop, you've, you've dropped the ball there. You've got to learn from your, from your mistakes, I exactly. guess. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is true. Anyway. Mm. Um, so, Corm, you're an event guy. Uh, event people tend to work... Lots and lots of different jobs. Can you can you give us the list of uh, some of the major events you've been involved in so far? Yeah, I'll try. I could spend probably half an hour on this, so I'll try and give you the, the very very brief version. But um, yeah, through uni, through uni, worked um, a, a number of different short events, starting with volunteering at um, you know things like trail runs and um, and Melbourne marathons in in the early days, and then. Um, yeah, working up the first big events I was working on was in my summer holidays at uni was with the 2013 and 14 Australian Opens. And then first contract out of uh, out of uni was uh, the Cricket World Cup 2015. And since then, it's really just been kind of trying to grab every opportunity that came my way. So straight from the Cricket World Cup in 2015 to the Rugby World Cup in, in London for a six-month project. Um, straight from there to New Zealand to work on the World Masters Games um, in 2017. I was there for 18 months. Then uh, back in Oz, the 12 months on the Gold Coast for the Commonwealth Games. Um, and, and then back to, to the UK, I had 12 months in London working on the next version of the Cricket World Cup in, in 2019. Um, and from, from there in summer 2019, or UK summer 2019, I've, I moved across to the Middle East and I've been here for the last the best part of the last four years working. Um, so, yeah, uh, so I'm lucky, lucky to work on some cool projects across the, across the world. That's incredible. I think yeah. a lot of people would uh, bend over backwards just to work at any one of those things. So that is really cool to hear. Um, you mentioned that you are you enjoy the Sports Grad podcast, and uh, one particular episode that we chatted about beforehand was our interview that we did with um, Bennett Merriman and Shannon Gove, who started Event Workforce. And um, part of their story was um, helping out at the Melbourne Marathon just by offering to clear a container. And now we believe. You were part of that very first container being cleared. How did you, and which, uh, as you mentioned, led to these series of events? How did you come to be involved with those guys? Yeah, so I was was very fortunate. As I said, you know, growing up in Country Vic was was four hours from Melbourne. So when I, I started out at Deakin, I was lucky enough to be on campus, living on on Res. And there was a, a guy in the year above me called Shannon Gove, and um, we we got along in a in a social and a personal sense. And yeah, I was one of the one of the guys that when, when Shannon and Bennett, I think, had committed to this, um, this their first uh, event workforce scope of work, uh, he then walked back onto campus and said, boys, we've, we've committed to have 20, 20 blokes on site at um, 6 o'clock tomorrow morning and just Bennett and I, so we're, we're 18 short and uh, <laughs> who can help us out? So I was one of the guys who um, put my hand up and, and was, was on the tram the next morning. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess like a lot of people, when I started my, my uni course, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I did the double degree because it had the, the sports science and the business element. And I thought well, maybe I'll be a physio, maybe I'll work for an AFL club. And 
realized pretty quickly that I, I wasn't really into that side of, of it um, and was more, more into the sports management and events side and, and meeting Shannon and, and Bennett and being involved in event workforce from literally day one. Um, you know, it's the biggest sliding doors moment for me in my career and certainly wouldn't be sitting here now um, if it wasn't for the boys and not only on site, they gave me opportunities. They gave me opportunities in the office. I did an internship with them um, and also did some some work in the very, very early days of Rostify, um, that, uh, helping doing some user testing and recording some pretty cringe voiceover videos of, of how to use the Rostify system in the very early days that are probably around on, on YouTube or, or floating around somewhere. So I've had a really close connection with event workforce and Rostify over the years and um, stay in touch with, with Shannon and Bennett and, and obviously Ruben, that's where we, how we crossed paths back at the World Cup in, in Qatar. They were out there with you and, and I was out there in a work sense and um, yeah, they've been a really big part of my journey. And when you were doing all these different events, was there a particular one or a particular moment that made you think, yep, this is the space for me? Because you had all these different pathways you could have gone down. So I'm wondering... What was it about events that made you pick that path? Uh, I think for me, it was, you know, I could have, it was probably 20 or 30 different events I worked for Event Workforce. And whether it was just a one-day shift at a music festival or a bit, a bit longer with the, the Melbourne Marathon or President's Cup golf, I th- think the one for me was actually when uh, the Colour Run series, um, which Shannon and Bennett managed to secure, I guess, a, an interstate contract um, for probably back in twenty. 2012, I was in my third year of uni um, and they, they got the, the contract not just in, in Melbourne um, and they said, oh, would you be interested in some interstate work? Um, and the first the first one uh, was actually, wasn't a flight, it was they said, oh, there's one of the guys who's working for us, he's, he's driving his van to Adelaide and we're going to pay his fuel. Do you want to jump in with him and you can you can get your first interstate shift? So um, a group of us jumped in the van and drove 10 hours from Melbourne to Adelaide and stayed in a hostel and worked on site at the Colour Run. Um, and I just thought, how good is this? We're on a road trip. We're, we're taking stops and um, taking photos and, you know, doing random things together as a group of people i just met that day at, at Southern Cross Station. <laughs> um, but, you know, we had a really great week together. And um, coming back from that, then then Shannon and Bennett uh, splashed the cash and got me a Tiger Airways flight <laughs> up to Cairns and I worked on the Colour <laughs> Run up in Cairns. Um, and, again, it was just like, wait a minute, I'm still at uni, but I'm, I'm, I'm working interstate and I'm seeing these cities I've never been to. And, you know, I think with where I am now sitting here in, in Dubai and um, having spent, you know, I think seven out of the last eight years uh, in my career away from Australia, I think looking back to that moment of saying, oh, I really enjoy being on the road. I, I enjoy the kind of challenges, but also the, you know, the exciting opportunities of, of working abroad. I think that is, is kind of a moment for me working on a couple of interstate events at the Colour Run that, um, showed me that I, I really enjoy doing it. And what was that? What was that first event where you started to sort of shift away from just the you know the casual shift to more of like a full time role running that event? Yeah, so I, I think I was um, the Australian Open was probably the first event longer than a couple of weeks on site. Um, so I had a, a couple of two or three month contracts with the Australian Open. But again, they're very, very site focused, no no office administration. It was effectively um, working. It was called, this title was site logistics supervisor, but effectively it was a, being a postman for the Australian Open. All the, all the deliveries, whether it was a letter or a bouquet of flowers or a pallet of 
um, you know, merch would, would come to the end, one end of the Oz Open site, and I would be there to receive it and understand who's who it needed to be delivered to. So I think that was the first event that I worked for, you know, a period of a couple of months um, and, and really enjoyed it. And then the Cricket World Cup was the first event where I kind of had the experience of actually sitting in an office and working starting more than 12 months out from an event and realising the amount of actual planning that goes into it. I thought, how can you get a job for a year sitting in an office planning in the lead-up to an event? And, and you know, that was an eye-opening one for me just to realise how much background work goes into these major events and how many, you know, staff are needed to help the planning to, to make sure that on the week or the weekend or the day that that event is on that it's, it's a success. Um, in, in events, it seems like, you know, your, your main job is to just make things happen. And there seems like there's a lot of different roles that, that make things happen. So I was wondering if you could ex- share what what are some of those different roles that you've worked in or that, that exist for event professionals? Because, um, like, your, your title could be event manager one day but then be something completely different for another event and a different title for another event. You kind of got the skill set that fits into each of them. So I'm wondering if you could talk to the breadth of roles that event managers can do. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the, the best way for me to break it down is, is just think of all of us and our own experience attending an event, you know, right from, from um, understanding the event is on, whether you see it on a website or on social media or whatever it is, to, to applying for your tickets, um, to, to then actually coming up to the event day and, and catching public transport to, you know, let's say Flinders Street Station and then realising that, okay, I'm, I'm walking now to the MCG and there's, there's marshals here and there's... there's there's entertainment here happening in in Fed Square and along Birrung Mar and you know all the all those touch points from a from a guest or a visitor um, they require um, a lot of planning and and delivery. So you know I think for me working in events the the great thing about it is there's um, there's an ability to um, experience every aspect of the event. My first job was as a volunteer coordinator, so I was not volunteering, but I was recruiting and, and training the volunteers in the Cricket World Cup. And then in the Rugby World Cup, I moved to spectator services, which is um, more of that out of venue, welcoming people, directing them to their seats, um, answering their questions. And, and from there, I moved into what's more commonly called as event management or venue management. And that's actually looking at how the venue operates and looking at not just front of house, where the, the visitors are, but back of house, what's happening with the logistics, the cleaning and waste, the catering, the accreditation, um, the security. So all the back of house functions there so you know really it's for, for for those listening it's thinking of you know everything that's required to make your journey as a visitor seamless while getting to the event and then obviously you're shifting to the what's happening on the field and what's happening you know in, in the back of house areas so there's there's really you know such a broad breadth of roles available um and you know by by jumping on board and, and picking up shifts or volunteering is is kind of the best way to to kind of experience those and understand what you like because not all of them are for me personally I, i've enjoyed some and, and haven't enjoyed others but the only way i found that out was was by actually experiencing it which one did you enjoy the most great question i love what i'm doing right now um which is more in the i guess strategic and consulting world of events but for for, for actually being on the ground and on site um Probably the Cricket World Cup in 2019, um, that role was a mix of it was venue management. Um, I was the, from going from volunteer coordinator in 2015 um, in an entry-level graduate job. It was kind of nice. Four years later in the 2019 World Cup, I was 
uh, I was the match manager. So effectively, I was the venue manager for two venues, um, Headingley in Leeds and um, and in Cardiff. And I was doing the venue operational planning for the 12 months leading up to the event. And during the event itself, I was then the main liaison between the ICC and and the, the LOC. So it was everything from coordinating the teams to be out uh, for the anthems, being out there for the toss. Um, if there was a during the match, you're the, the one who's walking into the, the fourth officials, the match referee's room and understanding, okay, it's a 20-minute delay. This is what I need to communicate out on the radio to the broader teams. And um, when we're doing a match restart, you know, then we need to, to make sure everything's in place for that. So that, to me, was a really amazing role of mixing the, the, the planning with on-site delivery and, and being exposed to that that kind of um, the, the top end of, of, of the event with the, the players and the match officials and, and everything like that. Nice. You would have got to see Ben Stokes absolutely go ballistic as yeah. well, which would have been fantastic. <laughs> yes. Um, so you've yeah, got a range of experience. Oh. Kiwis, the heartbreak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. That was, that was insane. It was awesome to watch. Um, so you had all this experience, then you've made your way to the Middle East. So tell us how, how did that come about? Well, very probably of all the... The events world is full of kind of random connections and, you know, not every job is advertised on LinkedIn and, and you'll probably hear a lot of people say it's about your networks and that is the most important part of, of this industry and, and, you know, I think this example is, is pretty much sums that up. I just finished on the Cricket World Cup in London. I was done a bit of travel after the tournament and, and I was sitting in my share house in, in London thinking, oh, God, here I am again. I haven't lined up my next gig. Why do I always do this to myself? I'm, I'm job hunting and not really sure what I'm going to do. Am I going to stay in the UK? Do I kind of put my tail between my legs and go back to Oz? Um, and I got a Facebook message from um, from a friend of mine who I'd worked with in the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. And she said, I've just taken a random project in Saudi Arabia. Um, I'm moving moving next week. There's some jobs going. Would you be interested in having a call with someone? I said, yeah, fine. I didn't know what the event was. Um, I didn't have any other details other than this Facebook message. And then the next day I got a phone call that lasted 10 minutes. And, and within that 10-minute phone call, I had um, provisionally agreed to to take a contract in Saudi Arabia and I was on a flight four days later. Um, so there was no job description. There was no formal interview. There was uh, no formal offer letter, which in hindsight... Um, probably not the wisest thing to do is to, <laughs> to accept that uh, with very limited information. Um, so that's definitely not a not not a recommended pathway. But um, that was that role was actually I was the venue manager for um, the heavyweight world title fight, um, which was called the Clash on the Dunes in, in 2019. It was Joshua versus Ruiz, um, and it was an amazing opportunity. It was a really really tough contract. It was five months in in Saudi Arabia when I'd never worked in the Middle East before. And um, it was a big culture shock. And, um, you know, from an actual event point of view, it was pr- pretty much four or five months of 18-hour days and not much sleep and a lot of stress. But um, I really enjoyed it and the event was a success. And um, that that led me to kind of really know that I, I love working out in this region and, and there's some amazing opportunities. And, um, yeah, that, that was a, a moment for me that all came off a, off a Facebook message when I was – sitting on a couch unemployed and not really sure what I was going to be doing. That is incredible. Uh, and also great that you've mentioned the, the Facebook message because uh, I was talking with someone from the FIFA Women's World Cup today and they were showing me the WhatsApp groups that they're a part of where they're like little micro communities of event people and they were sharing jobs just in these WhatsApp groups. And she was saying, 
you know, these opportunities don't go on job boards. They literally get flicked around on Facebook and on, and on WhatsApp. So that's so fascinating to hear that you've had a similar experience. Absolutely. The, the, the Middle East runs off WhatsApp. Um, <laughs> events, some events run off WhatsApp. They, they ditch the radios and, and everything's WhatsApp. But it is amazing after, after events is, you know, there's a group, whether it was, you know, let's say it's the, the Cricket World Cup ops team or the, you know, accreditation team, whatever it is, these WhatsApp groups, they stay in and, and these group chats that we get added to, you know, very rarely do you leave them because six months down the line, someone could say, hey, I've just started a new job at X company. We need, we need people who's interested. And, and, you know, I think that's the theme it, it comes back to is in the events industry. Uh, I've never been asked. Um, I've never been asked what my enter score was. Um, I've never been asked even what I studied, to be perfectly honest. It's all about what experience you've had. So if you've worked on an event, even if you're just volunteering for a day and you've been added to a group chat, having that connection to that event, um, knowing who the event manager was or knowing who the, the lead contact was and trying to have a quick conversation with them is, is hugely important because, you know, if you're able to name drop six months later or 12 months later or say hello to someone, say, do you remember we met for five minutes at the start line of, you know, the, the 10K run or whatever we were working on, um, that, that will, you know, that will be the biggest uh, impact for you in terms of securing those future opportunities. And, and it's happened to me countless countless times um, from random messages on Facebook, LinkedIn, WhatsApp, um, or bumping into someone socially and them saying, oh, did you know this job's available? You should go for it. Um, so that's been a big big part of my career and, and, and a big part of my opportunities. I think only probably two or three of the jobs I've, I've had in the last 10 years have been a formal advertised on LinkedIn, go through the interview process and, and everything like that. The others are all around kind of these connections and, and, and networking. It's eye-opening when you hear some of the ways of working in the event world for, yeah. for people who are hung up on their assignments at the yeah. moment. <laughs> um, do you know, I'm not sure if you've come across Hayam Katrib in your time, the head of workforce at the FIFA Women's World Cup, but she had a very similar start to what you were explaining. She used to be a teacher and then someone asked her to help, up, help out with events on the weekend and then next thing she knows, she was thrown into the 2000 Olympic Games and she did like eight Olympics after that. So... Um, your you know, your case in point right there yeah and no, it just shows that yes for sure university is massively important and 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 doing well and networking is important but ultimately it's it's your skills on the ground that that, that count and and the only way to, to, to get that experience is to to say yes to opportunities and i'm sure for Hiam it was kind of like okay i'm, I'm a teacher but yes I'll, I'll give this a go and and for me it's a lot of a lot of my opportunities have been the same i kind of haven't been Hundred percent sure of what it, what it was I was getting myself into, but always always saying yes to an opportunity, and knowing that if I didn't like it, I could bail. And I've always got some a safety net to go back to, whether it's you know go back to Oz or or go travelling or something like that. But you know, with all the opportunities, say yes, um, and and then you know see if you enjoy it, and and the rest will figure itself out. Nice. Um, and what's made you stay there? Like you, you obviously love the Middle East, and it, you know it looks like it's fantastic from a work sense, but what is it like over there and why why do you love to stay? Yeah, so I I think when I did finish that first project in in Saudi, I I was kind of a bit, um, I was pretty burnt out and I I came back to Oz for a couple of weeks. It was Christmas holidays 2019 and I kind of was, needed some time to myself um, and and I think once I'd kind of sat and and unwound a bit, I kind of realised that, yes, whilst it was hard work, 
the I guess the adrenaline rush and the excitement of, of the events world globally that's that's a given we all all of us who work in events around the world we, we do it because we love it and we do it because of the rush but I think in the Middle East it's you know you can multiply that by 10 um, you know the the ambition of the projects the 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 fact that you know, time time doesn't let anyone kind of say no to an opportunity. You know, this the event that I worked, the first event I worked on, we built a 15,000-seat stadium um, and a three-storey VIP hospitality um, space that ended up having the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia in it. We built that in, in nine weeks, um, whereas in Australia, if you had that, they would just say, okay, the event's off, we're not going to do it. Um, so I think that the, the ambition um, and just the, pure um, craziness of of these projects you just think how can this actually happen how are we going to pull this together and then you you manage to because there's some amazing people out here i think the freelancers who work in the middle east are, they're probably the most resilient and um quick thinking and, and problem solving people in the events world because they've just dealt with these crazy um requests and 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 at the time yeah you just think i don't know how we'll pull it off but you do and and then you know you you kind of you've got that adrenaline rush and and you're ready to do it all again. So yeah, for me the region is is just it's full of opportunities, particularly even during COVID. You know, I stuck around here during COVID because I looked back at Australia and thought, well, the whole events world's shutting down and there's so many restrictions and and everything's kind of really on the go slow. Whereas in the Middle East it was we're still planning ahead, we're going ahead with the, the Dubai Expo, we're going ahead with the World Cup in Qatar, we're we're, we're pushing forward. So. You know, it is. It's a place of fantastic opportunity if you can if you can deal with the um the last minute and and the stress and and the challenges of it. Tell us a bit about running the FIFA World Cup from from your perspective and the role that you were in. Yeah, so so that was a you know a really again a bit of a sliding doors moment for me. Um, it was my first, I guess, proper what I would call a consulting role. So I'd had you know ten years, the best part of. 10 years working on on site and on the ground and, and in the local organizing committee offices. And then um, after I finished that project in Saudi Arabia, um, a, a, an Australian consulting firm um, called Event Planning Group, EPG, they, they offered me a role in, in based out of Dubai working across projects in the Middle East. And the role with the, the FIFA World Cup was starting two years out from the event and actually working um, helping um, the what they call the visitor experience team. So that team within the World Cup was looking at the basically everything a, a visitor would do outside of, of going to the matches. So the matches were sorted, the stadiums were built, and, and they knew what was happening there. But what could someone like uh, Ruben, who comes over to Qatar for a, f- a few weeks, what can he do when he's not going to the matches? So that was a really interesting project. It was starting with the very early um, stages, two years out of, you know, uh, of doing a gap analysis um, which is just looking at, okay, I'm in Doha in November of 2022. What can I do? There's museums, there's parks, there's bars and restaurants. And, and it was actually looking at what existed and then what the gaps were from an experience point of view. There's no fan zones. You know, there's there's not many other experiences. Culturally, there's there's not a great network to get out to the desert or to get to the beach in, in Doha. So it was looking at that from two years out and then starting to come up with concepts and um, looking at what what perhaps the, the World Cup as an organising committee could do in a temporary event sense to build these fan zones and to build these other experiences and to make things easier for a, a punter who wanted to spend 48 hours touring the country. So that was a really interesting project. And um, from, from finishing there to the back end of last year, the, the company I'm working with, Trevandi, um, they're uh, you know an amazing company in, in the events strategic and consulting world. And, and that's what I'm doing now on a daily basis is 
looking at events in a long-term sense. It could be five years, 10 years out from the event and helping with the strategic planning, which I find really fascinating. Um, and, and then all the way to the, the operational readiness, which is what I've just been doing with the Formula One um, in, in Jeddah, in Saudi, and, and the on-site delivery. So that the last three years for me has been a shift from on the ground. I've, I've handed my radio in, um, and uh, I've now been working more in a, in a consulting sense, which a lot of my mates still give me stick about um, the guys who are still on the ground and on-site. So I've, I've gone a bit soft. And, um, <laughs> But I really enjoy this side of events where you can really take a long-term view at, at the strategy of a, a sporting organisation or an event or a governing body and, and, and support on the long-term strategic side. Yeah, nice. I, can just, I can just hear Paulie G and Stewie Fleming saying, you can't hack it anymore, Corm. Come get the radio back on. <laughs> but um, Daily, I... daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, well, I'm glad that you spotted the, the gap analysis. I'm glad you spotted in the gap analysis uh, the lack of bars in Doha because uh, without those Park 400 or Park 500 um, live sites, we would have been in a bit of strife. It was a bit hard to find a beer over there. Yes, yeah. So we, you know, we were a part of that exercise from from the uh, October 2020 when I started on the project. Was what what does a regular fan want to do, and and how can we come up with some concepts that that allow them to do that so that is cool it's probably not the not the sexiest side of events um but it's stuff that you can look back on and say okay we were able to in a meeting two or three or four years out from an event suggest some things that ended up coming to fruition now i wasn't the one in you know building that fan zone or, or delivering it i wasn't you know right at the coal phase but i can say or oh, actually you know these were part of our long-term strategic suggestions and recommendations so you know i think i, I get as much satisfaction from that now as i did back you know, when I was working at World Cups and walking out on, on the field of play and, and, and hearing the crowd and everything like that. You're almost like mm. a bit of an urban planner in a way, <laughs> planning cities, but just in a small period of time. Yeah, well, a project I've just come back from um, in, in Saudi Arabia is it, it's, it's not due to open or be completed until the end of 2027. And it's effectively Riyadh, the capital city of Saudi Arabia. It doesn't have much urban community green space places like the tan in Melbourne for people to go for a run or a bike ride or places with football fields or basketball courts. And that's the project that Trevandi are working on now. Um, and I'm a, I'm a part of is actually looking at these um, urban developments and, and how we can create better uh, green communities for, for residents. Um, so, you know, that that's, that's, it's literally a part of my, my day-to-day job at the moment. And something that's really exciting knowing that you're contributing to something that's not just going to be built and ripped out and, and gone in six months, it's actually a, a permanent capital development that's going to benefit kids and families and, and people who want to, to exercise. So, you know, that's that's an exciting part of it as well. Is that separate to the the line, that like 500-kilometre mm. greenhouse city in a yeah. desert that just is built in a glass box? I'm not sure if people have heard of yeah. this. Have, have you seen the photos of it? I was going to ask the same thing, yeah. Is, is that actually going to happen? Like, is that that's real? It, it will happen in some capacity. I think maybe the, the renders, the 3D images that you see now, they don't always match the end result. But the one thing I'll say about particularly Saudi Arabia is the ambition, um, you know, is is there. And, and I think they will deliver on, on most of what they're planning to. So whether it's NEOM, whether it's the line, um, the project I'm working on is Sports Boulevard, um, which is, is different again. But again, it's one of the giga projects. And um, they've got the they've got the desire and they've got the cash um, and they're they're really you know giving it everything, particularly leading up to 
to the tw- year 2030, which is kind of part of their national uh, events and sports and tourism strategy. So the next seven years in, in Saudi Arabia is just going to be phenomenal. And, and you know, that's another part of the reason why I'm, I'm staying out here is, is for that opportunity um, to be a part of. Mm. Uh, there's a bloke at Cricket Australia. Actually, he's just left Cricket Australia. Um, Ryan and I used to work with him in the commercial team. Uh, his name was Nick Thody, but he spent an early part of his career working in Dubai when the UAE first put in a strategy to attract more tourists, increase the health and wellness of the country by over-investing in sport. And that's when they started buying you know, soccer teams and national and, and uh, Formula One Grand Prix and, and tennis events. And it sounds like Saudi Arabia is starting to go through the same series of steps to lift up the profile of the country. Absolutely. It is for sure. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's putting all its, its energy and, and its resource into it. And it's an exciting time um, to be out here in particular with what we do as Trevandi. We, we specialize in, you know, complex mega events, government projects that you might look at a render and think there's no way this is ever going to happen. That's kind of our, our speciality and the type of projects we, we, we like to take on. So for me, you know, no day is the same and, um, it's, it's a really exciting time to be asked here and part of what's happening in, in the Middle East, which is, you know, a really big, um, I guess, a, a, a massive time of formation in the region and in the sports and, and events sector. Amazing. Um, let's talk about some of the, you know, key skills you need uh, when working in events. You know, wh- what do you need to be really good at in order to, to do well? Yeah, so I think, I think for me personally, what, what, what's helped get me to where I am today is, is communication. Um, and now that's not, you know, it's not something that you, you kind of can pick up in, in a textbook per se or through, through uni lectures, but it's something that you work on in your personal life and in your professional life. And, you know, I think for me, the ability to communicate, um, thinking all the way back to when I was 18, 19 volunteering in events, it was that communication was asking questions. And, you know, that's massive. Don't just sit there quietly and, and be too afraid to, to ask for questions or ask for help. Um, and as I moved through my career, that communication turned into the ability to lead and to present and to, to run workshops and meetings and site visits. And, you know, it's about kind of knowing, knowing your product, knowing your topic, and then being able to communicate that clearly and concisely, um, you know, try and get your point across in as few words as possible. And, and, and that will help people understand you. And, and that's more relevant now where I am in the Middle East, where English for most people is a second language. Um, and I'm communicating with people on site or, or in a boardroom or whatever that is. And if I waffle on, then they're going to lose me. And, and, or if I speak too quickly, they're not going to understand me. So communication for me is number one. Um, and I think linked to that is, is preparation. Um, before every meeting, yeah, it's amazing the amount of, particularly now where I'm, I'm more in a, a consulting role, is your day is filled with meetings and it's amazing the amount of meetings you, you join that don't have a clear agenda and there's, people don't have a, an idea of even why we're here. They just look at the calendar and they roll into the next meeting and they sit there and in 60 minutes of meeting, there might be two minutes of value. So for me, it's about preparing not just for meetings, but for a conversation and, and thinking it back to Unisense, it's like if it's a networking opportunity, do you understand who that person is, what company they work for? And if I get to talk to them in an elevator, Ryan, um, you know, what am I going to say in that 30 seconds that, that's going to get my point across or, or get, get out what I need to? So being prepared, I think, is, is huge and it's something that can go under the radar, um, you know, for, for all, whether it's on site, whether it's in the office, whether it's 
um, in a networking environment, doing that couple of minutes of prep before a conversation of why am I here, what am I trying to get out of this conversational meeting um, is massive. Um, and then I think the, the third one would be just on-site experience. Um, you know, there's, there's, no, um, there's no substitute for that. And before you can end up walking around on the field of play at the MCG, you've got to spend your time um, in the back of house compounds and with the portaloos that are overflowing and, and with the bins um, that stink and, and, and with the kind of non-glamorous side of, of events because that's the only way you'll, you'll kind of get that experience and be able to name drop and be able to kind of reference your, your um, on, the, on the ground experiences in job interviews and, and, and use them going forward. So I think they would be the three for me, um, communication, preparation and, um, and actually just getting out on the ground and, and, and working in events, getting that on-site experience. Yeah, I love what you said about preparation because I think it's like the most basic form of appreciation of other people's time that you can show. Like don't come to this meeting unless you're prepared for it because you're just going to waste your time and everyone else's time. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really good point to to get across and applicable in in a number of different contexts. Um, I was wondering if... uh, I'm sure this has absolutely happened in the world of events, but I want to talk about when things go wrong. Um, given the number of different pieces to all these different jigsaw puzzles in the event world, do you have any favourite mishaps that have happened in your career? Oh, I've got a, I've got a lot, um, <laughs> a lot to call on, particularly in this region. Um, you know, the very, very rarely does an event go to plan out here. Um, you know, I think from from the first project I did in I did in Saudi, um, there was a. a, a a myriad of, of issues, um, even thinking to when we were building this site, we were building this 15,000-seat um, arena, and uh, I was one of the first two on site. And, you know, I'm not an engineer or construction manager. I was walking around in my hard hat thinking, God, I'm, I'm pretty out of my depth here, but was kind of sticking back to my principles of being prepared and reading the plans and doing the prep before every day before I went on to site. And and one of the, the mishaps was the, the any outdoor boxing event, they build these huge canopies over the top of. So you've got your little boxing ring in the middle, then you've got this big canopy with these four big LED pillars around it and a roof in case of, in case it rains during event day. And off the roof, they also put your lights and smoke machines and, and all the kind of event production side of things. And I remember walking out onto the site and could see that the, the construction company had started digging the holes for these, these four big pillars because they needed to pour concrete base because there was going to be 40 tonnes of kit going on on this roof. And I remember walking out on the site and getting my bearings a bit and the stadium was still being built around the, the, the ring and, and I kind of was looking at the plans and looking at the holes and I was kind of like, it feels a bit, something doesn't quite feel right. And I chatting to, um, to my kind of production and technical manager, we're kind of saying, is this, are we standing in the right position or have we not got our bearings with where this CAD plan is or how is this working? And from us having a two-minute conversation of this doesn't quite feel right, we came to the realisation that, the construction company had come in and they were using a set of plans that was two weeks old and that set of plans had the, the foundations in the wrong location. So they'd oh. gone and dug eight metres into the ground and were ready to start pouring concrete for these foundations that actually were in the wrong place. Oh, no. And that was like, oh, God. Uh, and at the start, I was like, oh, shit, do we, what do we say? How do we do it? This is, this is massive. But if we hadn't had a conversation and said this doesn't quite feel right and then flagged it up, what would have happened is that concrete would have been poured. And because we were on such a, a crazy short event timeline, um, if we had have realised the next day when it was all said and done, 
um, you know, it would have been too late. Or worst case, if we hadn't realised at all, they would have gone to put in these 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 columns um, and and put this roof on, and, and the foundations wouldn't have been there. They would have been putting it on um, just on dirt. And who knows what could have happened there when they lift a 40-ton roof and it could have collapsed. So I think that was it's something that I think about a lot to, to me of trust your gut. And, and if you've done the preparation, if you've read the plans and you go on to site and, and things aren't matching up, then trust your gut and, and say something. Um, and as I said, definitely not an engineer, definitely no experience in construction management, but just having that ability to say, are we sure this is okay and then it wasn't okay and and you know that's an example i think of something that on a big scale could have been catastrophically wrong mm. um but you know you can you can trace that back to to any scenario and events if something doesn't look right um say something and, and question it and even if someone says oh no it's all good then it's fine that's no skin off anyone's nose but just ask that question are we all good um i think that's a really important part of events wow if that had if that had have happened if that had have gone on with it then maybe uh anthony joshua might not have lost to Andy Ruiz and, and changed his <laughs> career forever. So, Colm, you've probably done Andy a solid there by, by calling that out. But, um, yeah, wow, that, that would have been catastrophic. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I try not to think too much about that. What nice. <laughs> I'm sure we could probably sit here and talk about mishaps all day, mm. uh, which we, we can probably do another time ne- next time. We're, yeah, we're catching up. But, um I'm keen to hear a little bit about the uh, the events community. We often hear that you know it's a great crew of people, and you know people bounce around from event to event. Um, is that true in in every sense of the word? And, and do you like what's your network like? Because I'm sure you know you would know people from so many different events all over the country who are probably just continuously traveling around and, and enjoying work in different parts of the world nonstop throughout the year. Absolutely, it's a it's a great community and, and particularly for me, having been abroad for, for a big chunk of the last 10 years, you, you tend to, you know, I moved to New Zealand or moved to London where I didn't really know anyone. And um, you, you tend to latch on to your colleagues um, and, you know, they're there. We, we kind of, you get through the tough times together. If you're homesick or if you're stressed out from your job, you can, can take time away. And, 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 you know, that's a really big part of it as well. Keeping each other sane and keeping each other, um, I guess, reducing that stress and you know that the networking side of it it's it's led to you know really close friendships weddings um holidays all sorts of things all over the world and you know i can pretty much know that if i'm stuck in in most countries around the place there'll be someone that i've worked an event with who i've still got their facebook or whatsapp and and can hit them up and um you know for big events like the world cup people descend and, and you see people you haven't seen in three or four or five years and and it's just it is a, I think it's such a unique industry where not just in events, but the sports industry in general is that generally people are really open. There's not much hierarchy or there's not much kind of, Oh, I need to do well and I need to push others down. It's, it's more like we're all in this together. We all want to mm-hmm. see each other succeed. Um, and that's, I think a, a big part of the reason why I love it is because, you know, there's just a really great sense of community and, and we all want each other to do well we all want to work on the, the greatest events and experiences and we want to create these for, for people and massive for me i think it's it's part of the reason why you know you enjoy the you can stick out the long hours and the long days and the tough times because you're, you're surrounded by your mates and you're surrounded by these really talented impressive people and yeah i don't think there's many industries like that amazing we've got one final question for you corm uh, and that is if you could go back to the 
uh, Deakin University res site to one of the quiet study peri- study areas and leave a note on the desk for someone studying sport management exercise science. Not really sure what they want to do with their career. What piece of advice would you leave for them? I don't remember too many quiet study areas on res, to be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, if I could find one of those, um, and I was heading back. Um, I think for me, one that one that a mate of mine, um, a Dutch guy actually that I lived with when I was in, in the UK working on the, the Rugby World Cup, um, he's actually, he'd be a great guest on the podcast. His name's Willem Hegan and he's now the, the guest experience manager of the Amsterdam Arena, the biggest stadium in nice. um, in the Netherlands. Um, Willem's kind of motto, which I, I adopted in 2015 very, very quickly after meeting him, was just very simple. It was just, why not? Um, so instead of asking why, why would I say yes to this shift or why would I do this internship or why would I, you know, do anything, it's it's reframe that question and, and say why not. And I think that has kind of helped me a lot in terms of grabbing these opportunities um, over the years um, is just really being open to opportunities and removing perhaps some of your own awkwardness or self-doubt or imposter syndrome and just saying why not, just say yes to it, do it, you you won't know everything going into it and probably you won't know, you know, won't, you know, nail everything and that's fine. You'll make mistakes. But I think that would be the one thing if I could go back and, and scribble that down on the post-it, I think it's just why not having that attitude, you know, personal life in a work life um, that that's really helped me um, build the career and, and, and get me to where I am now. So that would be, I think what I'd be scribbling down. Well, if you didn't ask yourself why not in one of those early scenarios where mm. someone said, Hey, do you want to jump in a van, drive eight hours to Adelaide and stay there for a week? with, you know, several other blokes you've never met before, you might never have ended up where you are now. So I'm, I'm glad that you've lived true to that piece of advice. Absolutely. It's a big, big stepping stone. And, um, yeah, I'd highly recommend that to anyone listening is, is just whether you're studying or you're having a career change or whatever is just make the most of every opportunity and, and, and back yourself. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Corn, for, for joining us on the podcast. It's uh, It's been fantastic just hearing about your journey in the events industry and obviously now you know a bit more behind the desk and in that consultancy sort of phase but uh we've absolutely loved hearing about it and um those tuning in who are interested in events you you probably could not get a a better sort of hour of of your time to understand what it's really like uh, uh, you know behind the scenes of the events industry so really appreciate your time and uh why not absolutely great you guys thanks for the chat and uh yeah great to catch up again all righty guys i hope you enjoyed that chat with cormac uh he's a great friend of the show and uh was amazing to bump into him over in qatar where uh he'd been messaging me but i had no idea that he was going to be there and uh next thing we know we're having drinks together so uh lovely guy great to have him on the show but now it is time for Ask Sportsgrad, where every week we answer a question from our community. And if you'd like to ask a question, you can become a Sportsgrad member. So just head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community to join. Once you're inside, we have a channel called Ask Sportsgrad. You can add your question there and we will answer it for you. So this one comes from Karina and she says, Hey guys, what kind of places should I look to start my career? I'd love to work for a large organization, but I'm thinking of applying for some roles at a state organization. What should I do? This is a great question because I think a lot of people who step into sport uh, look at the major organizations, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, 
Cricket Australia, AFL, and think that is the only place that I want to work. That's the only place that I can work. Uh, but sometimes to get to those um, major organisations, you have to start off at some smaller organisations. And this is a good thing because often those smaller organisations is where you learn the most. So one of the benefits of working at a state organisation where the employees employee count can be literally as you know five to ten people is that you'll be required to do lots of different things. And so your skills are going to grow enormous, enormously because you're going to have to learn on the fly. You're going to have to figure things out for yourself. You know, you're not going to be part of a massive thousand person or 500 person system that makes an organization tick. You're going to have to be playing a lot of different roles. So if you don't have the skills for some of those roles that you are required to play, then you're going to have to learn. And that is a good thing. So these small organizations can be really great to learn a lot of different skills uh, and have a lot of autonomy over what you do at the same time. I know for a lot of young professionals, uh, one of the biggest challenges that they have at work is that they feel like they're not having an impact. Uh, and that's because, you know, they might have a very specific role that only does a certain thing uh, and they kind of feel like they're lost in the entire big organization that produces a result. Well, at smaller organizations, you can feel the impact you're having because you're required to, to, to do just about everything. Um, and often these are the perfect breeding ground to level up. So, for example, we've had a couple of podcast guests who have started in state organizations and then have gone on to major organizations. So one that comes to mind was an early episode with uh, Eliza Dewar, who I believe is episode 18 or around that ballpark. And uh, she started her career at Gymnastics Victoria. Uh, she was in a marketing communications role and he, she had to do everything from create the website to the social media to writing blogs. And because of that, she got a very well-rounded initial experience. And from that experience, she was able to apply for her next job at the Carlton Footy Club, who are doing pretty well at the moment. So without that initial state experience, I think Eliza might have been hard-pressed to get that uh, Carlton Footy Club experience. So it can be super valuable. Another one that comes to mind is our beloved Jack Lloyd, who used to be an intern with us uh, and has featured on the podcast on a couple of occasions uh, in episode, I'm going to say, 70 and one, no, sorry, 225. When he came, when he joined us in episode 70, we interviewed him after he'd just completed his first full week of his full, first full-time job. And that was at Rugby Victoria. He didn't know a single thing about rugby walking in. I remember he called me and said, Ruben, should I go for this job? I don't know about rugby. Um, I said, yes, absolutely, because you're going to learn a whole lot. And that's exactly what he did. He ha Similar to Eliza, he was in a marketing communications role. He had to use Photoshop. He had to use Premiere Pro. He had to update the website. He had to write blogs on games happening in the community. And sure enough, that well-rounded experience after 12 months led to him getting a job as a digital marketing coordinator at the ICC T20 World Cup. And um, at the T20 World Cup, final in at the mcg last year you know he's sending us photos on stage after england have just won the world cup final so he's having the time of his life in front of a you know packed ninety thousand person stadium um but that only comes from that initial experience in rugby victoria uh so 
if you're thinking about what to do, do I go for a big organization or do I go for a small organization? Still absolutely hold on to that vision and that dream of working for the big organization, but don't discount the small organizations. Often they can be the perfect place to get your foot in the door, get some really good skills and experience and then level up in time. I hope that answers your question for you, Karina. Uh, thank you for sending your question in. If you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends a question, uh, and by friends I mean people from the sports industry who have been on the podcast who come and join us for a live session, then uh, sign up to become a sports crowd member because every week we jump at a Q&A where it's an open floor for you to ask uh, these industry professionals any of your questions. Last week we had Clayton Henderson who'd been on the podcast recently. Next week we're talking about grassroots sport. We've got plenty of events coming up in the future. All of these are recorded. So when you do join, you get immediate access to over 50 hours of exclusive content, which is basically like Netflix, but for the sports industry. So jump on the website to, to get involved with that. Otherwise, if you want to connect with us, find us on LinkedIn. And if you love the show, please rate it five stars on Apple or Spotify. That would mean a lot to us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.